It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad. Riley drops back, looks, looks, dances, and throws, and he's going deep down the field. Oh, what a catch by Darrell Walker, who skipped his way to the end zone. Rebound comes off the boards. Two on two, Oilers. McDavid has a step to the net. Back here, short side, he scores. Connor McDavid scores both goals tonight and wins the game. home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos, 630 Chad. You'll have to excuse me if I'm a little rattled tonight. I've just been informed by the USGA that I've been given a one-stroke penalty for something I said on Friday's show. So that's where we're at with that. They called me at 3 this afternoon and said I might get a penalty. Then just before I had to come in here, we went back and listened to the audio, and it turned out I, I did indeed commit an infraction. So, hey, the USGA is doing its job, right? you got to penalize people. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on 6.30. Chad, my name is Reed Wilkins. It is 6.06 in the p.m. We have a two-hour edition of Inside Sports tonight because we have the Eskimos show back on Monday night with Morley Scott coming up from 8 to 9. Lots of news and notes to get to first before we bring in professional golfer Brad Fritch, Canadian guy who was born in Edmonton. We will have his reaction to that bizarre scenario at the U.S. Open yesterday. The Oilers making a bit of news today, re-signing defenseman Jordan Osterley to a one-year contract. The 23-year-old played mostly with the Bakersfield Condors last season. He had 25 points in 44 games played. Because of injuries, he came up to the Oilers late in the season. He had a 17-game NHL stint total and remember at times because the Oilers were so depleted the kid played a lot in his 17 games seven times he played over 22 minutes twice he played over 27 in the final game at Rexall Place against the Canucks young Mr. Osterley played 27 minutes and 57 seconds Uh, I think a guy with some potential but probably better off for your organization if he's a uh, farmhand and one of your call-ups if you really need somebody. But for the most part, I can't argue with uh, how he played in a difficult situation when he was up with the Edmonton Oilers. Of course, you can always text us here on Inside Sports by going to 630-630 on your smart telephone. Or you can give us a call, 780-496-0063. I'm on Twitter, at Reed Wilkins, and the email is insidesports at 630ched.com. So the Oilers locking up some guys, Tyler Pitlick last week, Jordan Osterley today. Can also tell you some wheeling and dealing going on. The Toronto Maple Leafs get goaltender Frederick Anderson in a trade with the Anaheim Ducks. So Anaheim gets the 30th overall selection in Friday's first round. They also get a second-round pick in 2017. Now, that 30th overall pick originally went to the Leafs from Pittsburgh in the Phil Kessel trade. Penguins are picking last because 
uh, they won the Stanley Cup. So we were talking about the Ducks goaltenders uh, a little bit last week, what they were going to do if uh, Kadobin might be snapped up by somebody. John Gibson, obviously the future there. So Frederick Anderson goes from Anaheim to Toronto. The New York Rangers trade the rights to defenseman Keith Yandel to Florida for the Panthers' sixth-round pick in Friday's draft. The Rangers will also get a fourth-round pick in 2017 if Yandel signs with the Panthers. He's 29. He's a free agent on July 1st. He's coming off a season where he made five and a quarter million dollars. Those are your hockey notes of the day. And uh, we'll be talking more hockey at 6.30 with Grant McCagg. He's the director of scouting for McKean's Hockey. They do not have Austin Matthews atop their draft rankings. And Jim Matheson from the Edmonton Journal will join us later on tonight as well. We have an early phone call this evening from John at 780-496-0063. Hello, John. Hi, Reed. How are you? Doing great. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I haven't talked to you since the last football season, but I think that uh, the USGA is probably mad at you for getting your dad on the show. But oh, you me? know, that was really a nice segment, Reed. Well, thanks for listening. You know, it was great to hear him, and he was like a typical parent, you know, trying to help his son out whether he needed it or wanted it. <laughs> oh, I need the help, trust me. Well, I'll tell you what, that was just a real nice show before Father's Day. I have two or three things quickly. Um... You know, this Cress Jones thing, it's too bad there was such a PR disaster with that because uh, really Chris Jones, I had him in the highest regard, but the way he handled the, the move to Saskatchewan I thought was very disappointing. I mean, he could have told the Rough Rider executive that, uh, you know, uh, I'm coming and I'm going to sign something if you want, but let's not do the announcement for at least a week after the Grey Cup. You know, and from the Rough Rider executive point of view, I just always thought they had, that they were a better organization than what they showed at that. I mean, they were so pushy. Uh, they leaked, the, you know, the fact that he'd signed before the Great Cup. I had Rough Rider friends calling me. And, and when they did the press release, I've never he heard a sports press release read where they said, yeah, we have the coach for the Eskimo signed up and seven out of his eight assistants are coming. And, you know, we're also hurting a division rival. I mean, that was just so bizarre. So not very classy, I don't think. Okay, well. The second thing was, you know, you had um, a city councillor on. Uh, it was a few weeks ago. Uh, Michael Oshry was in studio, okay. yes. Yeah. And he was talking about the city of champions and how we should all get over it because it's just the Oilers and that's, you know, the way it goes. And that's not what it's about, Reed. The city of champions was... A moniker that Mayor Decor gave the city after terrific response to the tornado victims. And it has nothing to do with the Oilers or the Eskimos. Regardless of how many myriad of champions of all types of sports we have, we are champions when it comes to multicultural stuff, the heritage stuff, the fringe, the music festivals, the way we handle international competitions. So, you know, it's not going to go away, and I, I just... I don't know if he was born and raised in Edmonton, but he should do a little bit of history because now we're the capital region, and you know that means legislature and that means politicians. So the politicians picked his new name, and we're the city of politicians, and that really cheeses me off. All right. I also wanted to let, me, let you know, I think I kind of got an idea of what Peter Shirley's going to do. I think he's going to, if, I mean, he can't, if he can't make a real super deal for a defenseman before the draft, I think he's going to use the draft 
to take one of those three defensemen. And it's like having two picks, you know. You, you get the guy, and you also have him protected for a year. So I think it might be Sergeyev that he goes with because of the power play. Um, At number only, four, you're thinking? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if they're. I, I think they like Sergachev. I, I don't know if they're going to take him at four. I, I still think Kachuk uh, might be the guy, but you know maybe they do go out on a limb and do it, or maybe they wheel their way to get another pick and take the D there. John, we're going to have live coverage of the draft on Friday, so I hope you can listen, buddy. I, I, I sure gotta, can. I, I got Brad Fritch coming up. He's a pro golfer. He's oh, going to talk all about the USGA, so I that's hope you can good. stay tuned. Thanks a lot. Okay, that's John checking in, 780-496-0063. Passionate phone call. Love to see uh, the opinions that John had. Obviously, uh, a proud Edmontonian, proud of his city, proud of his Oilers and his Eskimos as well. Of course, the Eskimos did win. I'll have some thoughts on that as we move along. Overall, I thought it was a pretty sharp game, especially for the preseason. This portion of Inside Sports brought to you by Action Furnace, home of the fixed right or its free guarantee. Visit actionfurnace.ca. Pro golfer Brad Fritch, he was born in Edmonton. He's up next. This is Adarius Bowman from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Eskimos show with Morley Scott from 8 to 9. Man, you're going to remember the 2016 U.S. Open. Not only did Dustin Johnson finally get over the hump, he had to do it fighting through a bizarre well, I was going to say ruling, but I guess at the time it was a non-ruling. To discuss that, Edmonton-born Canadian pro golfer. He's been on the PGA. He's now on the Web.com Tour. It is Brad Fritch. Brad, welcome back to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, well, thanks a lot for making time for us. And, boy, what a memorable U.S. Open, and perhaps in some ways for the wrong reason, or, or at least for something maybe people wish they, they were talking about it. I mean, Brad, you've been out there. You're a pro golfer. When you when you see that Dustin Johnson call and the USJ's reaction to it and handling to it, I mean, I'll just kind of leave the floor open to you here. What do you think of all that? Yeah, I think it's kind of a two-part problem that I had with it. Um, first of all, when on the fifth hole when Dustin... Uh, backed off of his putt and alerted the walking rules official with him that the ball had moved and that he hadn't addressed the ball yet. His putter wasn't grounded. Uh, basically, he didn't do anything to cause the ball to move in his mind. Uh, the walking rules official said, okay, I take your word for it. Uh, his playing partner, Lee Westwood, came in, and he attested to it that he'd done nothing wrong. Okay, fine. You know, play away. And he, and he hold the putt and, and went on with his round. Uh, and then when he gets on the 12th tee, the, one of the rules officials comes up to him and says, we're looking at it again, and we're going to decide after the round whether you're going to be penalized. So the first problem I have with it was the fact that the first official was going to be possibly overruled, and the second problem is you're kind of left, you left Dustin Johnson flapping in the wind about what his score was on the whole. Um, and further, you're you're leaving everyone in the field not knowing what Johnson is doing. So, you know, am I one stroke behind? Am I one stroke up? Am I tied? It leaves so many possibilities uh, open. And, you know, it, it was just a bad situation all around. Now, I will give them credit because I guess about half an hour ago, the USGA came out and apologized for the way they handled it and said that they should have ruled right then and there. And that's, you know, whether you think it was a penalty or not, um, you know, you have to rule right then and there. 
Well, you're right, and that and that's the the crazy thing is is and I I mean I can't imagine how you would have felt in that situation, whether you're Johnson or one of the other guys, playing a competitive round of golf, a competitive game of any type, and not knowing the score. I mean, it, it's mind-boggling to me that they didn't have that solution that thought at the time that okay we need to rule and let everybody know what the score is right uh i guess if you're in the first round you know it's not that bad but you're in the in the second last group of a u.s open it's the final day and you're basically not going to know when you tap in on 18 what your score is going to be that that's the part that's unacceptable to a player is you know you can play holes different ways you can uh, you know, if you drive in a bad spot, you know, from there you have to decide, well, do I kind of advance it up towards the green? Do I lay up? How many shots do I have to play with here? And that affects strategy. So, um, you know, just the fact that it was the fourth round and he's definitely in contention, that that was the biggest thing to me was, was the unknown factor. Brad, golf's an interesting game in that players are basically expected to call infractions on themselves. I mean, I couldn't imagine LeBron James calling a foul on himself <laughs> in, game, in Game Seven last night. Um, have you had a, um, a a similar situation, or is there a, a a rules debate or issue you've had with an official that is even? I guess it's not comparable because that was the final round of a U.S. Open, but but you know, is sort of along the same lines. Um, I think. The, the most uh, the one that sticks in my mind is a, a long time ago I was playing a Canadian tour event in Winnipeg and and um, I went through my drop procedure I took a an unplayable lie because my ball was actually stuck in a tree it was a very small tree and it was stuck in a tree off my tee shot and basically what happened was I took the unplayable lie and I dropped it on the cart path on purpose to get further relief from that and my playing competitor was standing with me the whole time watching, um, didn't say anything, thought it was fine, and then I hit it up on the green and I made the putt, and it was a par five, actually, so I actually made a birdie with an unplayable lie. And all of a sudden after that, after I had made the birdie, all of a sudden he had a problem with it. So it, it was kind of a weird situation where you're, I'm not being given the benefit of the doubt, even though he stood right with me the entire time. Uh, the outcome was in my favor. I didn't feel like I did anything wrong. Uh, it was just kind of a weird situation where my integrity was being questioned a little bit. Um, this this situation was a little different with DJ where, you know, anyone who watches that close-up video can see that he never grounded the putter behind the ball. Yes, he took some practice strokes beside the ball, but the ball moved backwards. So I've never, I've never seen a putter hit a ball from, you know, from behind the ball and the ball rolls backwards. It was very bizarre to me. Brad Fritch, pro golfer, joining us, born in Edmonton, joining us tonight inside sports on 630 Chet. Another interesting thing to me, and it was relief and it was an interesting kind of rule, is the relief that Dustin Johnson got from the TV tower, and then he basically hit his approach shot over the TV tower anyway. Uh, a couple of people said to me, it's like, well, what did he need relief from then? Can, can you take us through um, that rule? And I, I'm guessing he probably did what anybody would have done in that situation to gain a little bit of, bit of a better lie. Absolutely. So what happens is with those TV towers, they're called temporary immovable obstructions. You can't move them. They're too big. Um, you know, it'd have to be dismantled and take too long. So 
what happens is that it's not the fact that you can you are able to hit it over the tower. It's the fact that it's in your direct line of sight with the pin or with the hole and your ball. So basically, from his ball, he could not see the hole. Now, um, his shot that he hits after that, after dropping, uh, that really has no bearing on whether it was in his way to begin with. Um, yes, absolutely, the rules worked in his favor on that uh, particular shot, but that's kind of you know, the rules are there to help. They're not there to, to hurt you in any way. Um, this is one of those times when the rules really helped him. He was fortunate, and he took advantage of it. But in no way did he was he, uh, you know, getting a leg up on the field in any, any kind of a bad way. Brad, you played in the U.S. Open in in, uh, in Chambers Bay, and a lot was made of the, the course that year. And I, I know I interviewed Richard Zokel a couple of weeks ago, and he said with Oakmont they might actually have to make it easier to get it to U.S. Open standards because it's such a crazy course. I mean, how how do you contrast what the U.S. Open courses are like compared to a you know regular PGA Tour stop? Well, I have kind of a unique perspective on the U.S. Open because it's played twice. Once was Wingfoot in 2006, and the other one was Chambers Bay last year, so two completely different golf courses. Uh, one had high rough, and basically it's a, it's a driving competition. Who can hit the most fairways? And then Chambers Bay was, you know what, wherever you hit your tee shot, you're always going to have a second shot that you could hit on the green. It's just, you know, from different types of grasses, from, from weird bunkers and stuff like that. Uh, very old old-style golf course uh, from overseas, basically, is what Chambers Bay is. Um, you know, U.S. Open is so different. Uh, I looked at the stats last night, and Dustin Johnson made 11 birdies, and he won the golf tournament. And basically, in a PGA Tour event, that's never going to happen. Uh, you know, you've got to make upwards of 20 birdies in a regular tour event to uh, to win the golf tournament. Um, it's just a, it's basically a battle of attrition. You know, don't make double bogeys. Always you know, try to limit the damage, and, you know, pars are really good. I saw some tweets about, uh, you know, oh, his wedge game is no good, and, and he's not hitting it close enough, and, you know, that very well well may have been the case, but he was hitting it in spots where he could two-putt from, and even though he had, you know, 100 yards and 120 yards, those greens are so difficult, so treacherous, that you just can't go with pins there. You just get in spots where, uh, the ball keeps going and going, and then you're running into a place where you can't get it up and down from. So he played about as cerebral a tournament as I've ever seen a U.S. Open player do. Now, granted, he's playing from spots where most people aren't playing from. He drove it so well, so long and straight. So I give him credit for, for how he approached the week. Um, as well as he was driving the golf ball, he uh, he played it really smart. Well, he did, and he finally gets over the hump, even though it, it looked for a while another another weird event might come up to bite him. Hey, Brad, uh, all the best for you uh, this summer as well. Just g- give fans uh, a quick a quick update here. How are things going on the uh, on the web dot com, and uh, uh, are you feeling pretty promising for being back on the tour next year? Yeah, so right now I'm third on my list on the web.com tour. Uh, I had a win earlier this year and a second place the following week, so that set me up really well to get my tour card for next year. Um, you know, the one kind of negative that's been this year is that I had an attack of gout in my left foot, and, man, can I tell you, that is, uh, that's about the most painful thing you can do without breaking a bone. It, uh, it was really bad for about two or three weeks. So I've missed the last four, maybe five tournaments. So I didn't play at all in June. Uh, my next event will be the first week of July, and I look forward to playing a full schedule after that. 
Uh, hopefully, I'll play in the Canadian Open at the end of July as well. So it's a, it's a full schedule for basically July through September. And uh, my position right now, I'd say it's a very, very good chance I'll be on the PGA Tour next year. And just looking forward to being back out there again and playing with the best in the world and playing all those great golf courses. And obviously, you know, you're, you're playing for to make yourself a better living too. So that's it's exciting for me. It's exciting for my my family and uh, just just real uh, real pumped about the next few months and then next year as well. Well, great to hear. And I know you you spent most of your uh, youth growing up in Ottawa, but since you were born here, we're going to claim you as, as a little bit of an Edmontonian, uh, especially when you're doing well. <laughs> Brad, thanks a lot for your time, man. Really appreciate your insight. I've got no problem with that. I, I've, uh, I hear from people all over the country, and it's really fun to uh, to have fans follow you and, and to watch me play golf. It's, uh, it's really fun to hear from everyone. You're listening to 630 Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. All right, thank you so much for tuning in tonight. It is Inside Sports on 630 Ched. By the way, I want to thank everybody who came out on Friday to the Lynx in Spruce Grove for the 23rd annual 630 Ched Gary Dreger Memorial Golf Classic. Record amount raised for 630 Chet Santa's Anonymous, $22,574. Just a, such an awesome day, an awesome cause. So proud to be uh, a very small part of it. A lot of people much more heavily involved than I am here at 630 Chet. ca. by the way. Uh, you can help out with Santa's Anonymous anytime all year long. Still ahead on uh, Inside Sports, we're going to talk a little bit about last night's Game 7 of the NBA Finals as LeBron gets it done. Forget about anybody else on the Cleveland Cavaliers. It was all LeBron. Do you find uh, Kellen Kennedy on the other side of the window today. Do you find that the, the, the NBA markets individuals and not teams? Yeah, I, I don't think... Um, you know what? Probably in the past 20 years, actually, on the second thought, yeah, they, I think they are the Probably the the biggest, uh, I guess if you call it, I don't know, the the biggest proponent well, of it. Here's or, the thing. I mean, th- this is this was LeBron's story. All right. This was LeBron. In my mind, this was this was LeBron's story. This was about LeBron James getting a championship yeah. in Cleveland. This was about LeBron James. The game ends now. He first of all, he played great. Mm-hmm. You can make a pretty strong case that he is the greatest player in NBA history. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people were last night on Twitter after the game. And the game ends, and the, his teammates are celebrating and or shaking hands with the Golden State Warriors, and he's mm-hmm. down on the floor crying by himself. Yeah. Now, I realize he had to take a lot of a weight on himself. He's the leader of the team, but basketball lends itself to that because mm-hmm. the best players play pretty much the entire game. Yeah. And the NBA discovered this. I mean, let's face it, in the 70s, it was a dying league. Yes. Larry versus Magic saved the NBA, mm-hmm. and so they have continued that thread of marketing individual stories over over team stories. And, yep. I mean, you can't argue with it. It, it works for them. Yeah, and the they nine... kind of pick the best five, six, seven players in the team yeah. uh, in the league and say, this guy, this guy, this guy is who you need to be a, be a pension yeah. to. And it's, I mean, I get the sense that it's being presented as LeBron's title, and I don't think other sports do that as much. Right yeah. or wrong, I guess it's personal personal preference uh i don't prefer it that way but you can't deny the guy's greatness Mm -hmm. yeah for sure i mean like you look back even at the 90s you had uh what was it It was jordan versus 
you know, whoever he'd be playing that night. It'd be Jordan versus Ewing or Jordan versus Owajuwon or something, right? So. So anyway, we'll talk more about that with Paul Sir later on in the show. This is interesting, too. If you're on DraftKings, as I am, you're going to love this. The CFL is not is now on DraftKings. This is a daily fantasy site. One of the guys who founded DraftKings, how about that, will be on the show this evening. But we want to roll into to some NHL draft talk, courtesy of Nate's Computer Training Center. Heat up your computer skills this summer. Enroll now for July courses at nate.ca slash ctc. So many people put out rankings. McKean's Hockey is one of them. And they have Patrick Line ranked ahead of Austin Matthews. We're going to bring in Grant McCagg. He's the director of scouting with McKean's. Grant, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing very well. Big week for the NHL. This is when all the speculation finally becomes a reality. And uh, McKean's Hockey, of course, one of the uh, many publications and, and talk shows and all that kind of stuff, doing a little bit of speculating. T- tell us a little bit about McKean's Hockey before we get into some of your, uh, your, your draft guide stuff. How long have you guys been doing this now? Well, we're the old uh, we're the old guys uh, in that regard, I guess. Uh, second only to the hockey news and covering the draft. Uh, started um, um, prospect coverage in 1994 when the uh, publisher uh, began his McKean's Pool Yearbook, and uh, had uh, coverage on the draft prospects ever since then. <laughs> Well, yeah. So you've been going at it a while, and you, I don't know what what you find, but but I seem to think the the speculation and and the frenzy surrounding the the draft seems to amp up every year. It, it probably it probably seemed a lot smaller that when you started than it does now. Oh, certainly. I mean, with you know, with social media being you know the way it's grown in that time, and uh, I mean it's unprecedented with all of the Canadian teams drafting in the top 12 in the lottery this year it's uh there's more interest in canada this year than i think any year for sure yeah all right well let's let's look at a couple of your specifics because it it really is interesting and the the top three matthews line and pugliarve and and you guys have that and, and a lot of people have that Give me your sense of, of why those three players have sort of emerged as a definite top three for this Friday. Well, I think it was uh, on full display, um, you know, in January or December, January, when uh, when the under twenties were on. That you know, those three guys were the were the class. Um, the two Finns were uh, integral part of the the gold medal winning team for Finland there, and. Uh, you know, they just kept on impressing as the year went on. Um, Line with his uh, amazing showing in the uh, Finnish league playoffs, and then, of course, uh, you know, picking up the MVP there, and also in the uh, world world championships against the men. Uh, that's never happened before with a draft eligible prospect, and uh, and then Polyarvi following up his. Um, under 20 uh, MVP with, you know, with hat trick in the gold medal winning game for for Finland in the under 18s. They, uh, you know, it was a, it was pretty easy choice to have those two in the top three. And Matthews, of course, was uh, considered by many to be the top prospect all all season long. And uh, it wasn't an easy choice uh, picking Line over over Matthews. And uh, I realized that the majority. You know, apparently disagree with that, but uh, 
it, you know, I at the end of the day, I, we love uh, Liney's offensive upside more than any other prospect. All right. Well, yeah, that's an interesting one for sure. It is uh, a look at McKean's Hockey's draft guide. Grant McKeg is the director of amateur scouting for McKean's Hockey. Give me a sense of, because depending on who you talk to, it's four through nine, there's not much of a difference. Th four through 12, there's not much of a difference. Or even some people go four through 18, 19, there's not much of a difference in the quality of the player. How do you see it, the depth and the closeness of the players after the, the top three? I agree uh, that uh, I think it's four through 15 is, you know, where um, it's it's been interchangeable all season long. Um, I've had comments from uh, um, NHL head scouts that said, you know, that they've never seen it bunch so closely at the top, uh, in the top 15. I mean, a good example would be uh, Jacob Chikrin was, uh, you know, considered a top five prospect, a top four, even a top three going into the season. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a chance that he goes after 12 now with, uh, and it's not all just because he, you know, he, he was that bad it just per se it's just that there's that many uh good players grouped together in the top 15. Uh, it's interesting with with your rankings um because you have matthew kachuk ranked fourth uh, when you do the list of 150 prospects um but you don't have the edmonton oilers drafting him fourth you have only you a levy there so you guys kind of do your your prospect rankings but then you try to take a little bit of an educated guess with uh how the teams are going to guess or how they're how they're actually going to draft i guess and well we all know the oilers need defense right grant <laughs> Well, that's it. You know, I mean, just like even at the top, we, we put line A first, but you now we have uh, Toronto picking picking Matthews, you know, because they're, I mean, since Sundin retired, they've needed a, a number one center. And that's what uh, Matthews projects to be. But, yeah, I um, I mean, Ulevi was ahead of Kachuk uh, most of the year on our rankings, so it's uh, it's not like we have a big gap there. As, as I've stated, it's so tightly bunched together with the, with the top 15, you know, with four, four to 15, that it's, uh, I mean, we could almost flip a coin on every second player. Um, but at the end of the day, I just, uh, I know Edmonton's drafted a lot of uh, forwards in the past decade and, you know, pretty stocked up there. I just, uh, I feel that he's such a, you love he'd be such a great fit for the Oilers and that, that down the road he could very well be their uh, number one defenseman, and you don't get very many opportunities to pick up uh, uh, number one defenseman. It's after center, or arguably as valuable as a, as a number one center. I think uh, he's he is the fit for the Oilers for the draft. What's the separation in your mind? And I guess we've already talked about that there isn't much. But what, what's the separation in your mind between Levy and Mikhail Sergachev, who's uh, you know another high-ranked defenseman for this year? Yeah, I've uh, we ranked uh, Sergachev uh, outside of the top ten, so we're not quite as high on him as, as you see in a lot of lists. Um, since is the biggest thing uh, where they're, they're separated. I mean, Sergeyev's a little bigger. He's stronger at this point. He's got a harder shot. But uh, we think when Yulevi puts on 
15, 20 pounds. He's got a little more maturing to do uh, than Sergeyev, who's already, uh, you know, mature physically. But nobody comes close to Levy as far as uh, poise and hockey sense goes. And I think that was on display at the under-20s where he led. Uh, he was the top defenseman on the Finnish team that won the, won the gold. And he's been uh, he's been compared favorably to Nick Lidstrom in, in, in terms of his sense and poise. Uh, just uh, on another uh, level uh, compared to other defensemen. Sergeyev, um very uh, concerned about the casualness in his game that would crop up. I mean, he could be physical one period, the next period. He'll leave a guy, uh, you know, completely alone in front of the net without as much as lifting a stick. Um, in the playoffs, there were some games at the end of the game with the, you know, with the score tied against Kitchener where, what for whatever reasons he just left guys uh, completely alone in front of the net who scored the winning goal in the game and uh, I you know I don't think anything bothers a, a fan more or a coach more than when you you see stuff like that from the defense and it makes you shake your head and it, you know it's things like that that uh, that concern us going forward and um, sometimes you know I I, I see some uh, parallels with. Zadorov, you know, who was so physically gifted uh, in his draft year, but hasn't quite, uh, you know, hasn't lived up to that hype so far uh, in in large part because they're just uh, sometimes the effort and the the thought process uh, really concerns you. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Well, it's definitely going to be fun, and it's going to be especially interesting to see how it shakes down after those top three guys are drafted. Grant, thanks a lot for joining us. Uh, again, McKean's Hockey, if people want to give that a Google or, or follow you on Twitter as well, you got some great stuff on there. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you. That is Grant McCagg checking in, Director of Scouting for McKean's Hockey, and yes, they have some... Interesting opinions. They have Patrick Laine as the number one player in the draft. Now, then they did a mock draft, and they said the Leafs are going to take Matthews, but they have Laine ranked higher, uh, and they have the Oilers taking Ole Uolevi, which I don't think is going to happen at number four, but time of year to speculate, and uh, yeah, let's face it, time of year when uh, publications and things like that get a little bit of attention by uh, making their own picks. By the way, I did not do a mock draft. I d- did post to the 630Ched website, and uh, you can get it on my Twitter account, at Reed Wilkins, my five biggest questions heading into the draft in Buffalo for this Friday and Saturday. We'll talk about some of the NHL news of the day and some more draft speculation with Jim Matheson from the Edmonton Journal coming up at 7.05 tonight. I can also tell you that the NHL announced home openers for the upcoming season today, and the Oilers will open Wednesday, October 12th against the Calgary Flames. The Flames' home opener will be Friday, October 14th against the Oilers. So we know the first two games of the Oilers' season, a home-and-home against the Flames October 12th and 14th. The full NHL schedule will be released tomorrow, and we'll have all the details for you right here on Inside Sports. 6.49, your scoreboard presented by Crystal Glass. For all your glass needs, you can call 310 Glass today. Quiet night, no Blue Jays. Eskimos won 25-11 over the Saskatchewan Rough Riders on Saturday afternoon. More Eskimos talk later on. Jim Matheson coming up. This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet.
Mike Riley played a couple of series against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders on Saturday. And the Eskimos roll into a 25-11 win. Eskimos will start this one first and 10 from their own 39-yard line as Riley takes the snap, takes a drop, looks to unload deep downfield. He's got Darrell Walker wide open. Wow, back into the lineup is Walker, and he's inside the 10-yard line. What a great way to start this game. Mike Riley, who waits for the snap, gets it, takes a look back, throws to the back of the end zone. Man, that looked easy for the Eskimos right out of the gate. And Getzlap has his first touchdown as an Eskimo, and I'll bet that is pretty sweet for him. Phillip Sims going for the end zone again. This one's up in the air, and it's intercepted, picked off. Josh Woodman's got the football. The Eskimos turn it over once again, third interception of the game. Joel McKnight's the running back. And he'll get the football. He'll go up the middle. Big gain for Joe McKnight. He's across midfield to the 50, the 40, the 30. McKnight heads to the sidelines. Down he goes. 3, 2, 1. Touchdown, Eskimos. What a run by Joe McKnight. 85 yards to the end zone. Love that first play. Right off the hop. The deep shot to Walker. Look, preseason game, I'm always I'm always cautious, but we know the Eskimos are coming off a Great Cup championship. We know they have new coaches. Like the look of the offense, I think Jason Moss is going to attack more areas of the field than they did last year when it was a lot of short passes and then a deep shot. I think you're going to see a more variety of patterns. I think you're going to see um, the receivers push into that mid-range 12 to 15-yard gain area more. And then we'll see a running back. I thought John White looked pretty good. Didn't play at all last year because of the ruptured Achilles. And I'll tell you what, if Joe McKnight takes on the Kendall Lawrence role, quite frankly, that's an upgrade. Because McKnight is flat-out faster. And you saw him reel off that that big run for the touchdown on Saturday afternoon. Uh, certainly encouraging for the offense. The O-line is back. They're looking pretty good. Depth at quarterback, though hopefully Riley's healthy the whole season. I think the question for this team remains the secondary. The question remains the secondary. Josh Woodman, draft pick from this year, he got that interception. Court Parks had a pick. I also thought he got beat a couple times, and I know the Eskimos were really glad to, to add him as a free agent. The secondary for this team is the number one question. And they'll be challenged right off the bat by the Ottawa Red Blacks. Henry Burris, MOP of the year, uh, MOP last season, and put up some pretty impressive passing numbers. Though I, I got I to gotta stick with the Eskimos as the favorite to win the West. I can tell you out East, the guy who I think might be the best player in the league, Zach Kalaros, quarterback for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, signing a contract extension through the 2018 season. Now, he won't be starting the season for Hamilton this year. He's still getting over a knee injury he suffered against the Eskimos last year. And uh, as happy as I was to see the Eskimos win last year, could have been a different story. Could have been a different opponent in the Grey Cup if Kalaros had been healthy. I think he's the real deal, and I think that's a well-coached team with Kent Austin at the helm. I'll probably do some CFL picks later this week, Kellen, for the season. How about that? So I can be wrong again. Yeah. Because I'm a glutton <laughs> for punishment. By the way, I mentioned the Blue Jays off today. They will start a two-game set against the Arizona Diamondbacks tomorrow at Rogers Center. 
The Jays 39 and 33 on the season. They're three games out of first place. They trail Baltimore in the American League East. They're actually in third place. Boston is in second. They're a game off the pace. You can text us at 630-630. The phone number is 780-496-0063. Yeah, some news today. The Oilers re-signing Jordan Osterley and some trades. The Leafs get Freddie Anderson. The Rangers give up the rights to Keith Yandel. They go to the Florida Panthers. Jim Matheson from the Edmonton Journal, the Hockey Hall of Fame writer, will discuss after the 7 o'clock news. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.